listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music. Music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening. Mystical. mystical. That couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics, they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller, my shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. Bring on life. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily, or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions? You've got questions? I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening in with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. Dan Hasseltine never disappoints. Not me. Not with his music efforts, nor his lyrics, nor his, quite frankly, frank speak about the world around us and inside of us. I appreciate so much the career of Jars of Clay. Now he takes a bit of a sidestep with The Hawk in Paris. Yeah, The Hawk in Paris record is distinctive from the first scratchy intro on the song Freaks, which is also the title of the record, which we mostly spoke. This was recorded on 11... This was recorded on November 12th, 2013. 11-12-13, kind of a... Kind of a numeric ladder there, yeah. Hey, do you feel um, do you feel less constrained uh, writing here rather than writing for jars? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a certain kind of freedom. I think it's, and I, I don't know that I would necessarily put it in the category of um, artistic freedom in a sense because it feels like something different. It, it doesn't, you know, because I think with jars. I, I could write whatever I wanted to. Um, certainly the, the lack of freedom comes on the back side of that where it's, you know, well, where am we going to put this? Who's going to listen to it? Is it going to fit in the context of the canon of what JARS has created and or where JARS is kind of the path of JARS is heading? And the hawk is definitely, um, it's free of any of those sort of potential listener prejudices. It's certainly free of... Um, you know, that immediate, oh, that's that Christian band response. Um, and I think that's, that's the part of the Hawk that somewhat makes me feel like I have more freedom in it. Um, but it's, it's really just represents a different kind of writing style for me. It represents, um, you know, writing about, well, what we're calling dark pop. And it's just, it's the melancholy side of, love and relationships, which, you know, isn't necessarily that far off from what I write about with jars, but it's just, it's, it's a different voice, um, speaking, I would say. You know, your, uh, Twitter handle is Scribblepotamus, right? Yes. Do you, do you write more than what I get from jars and now the Hawk project? Do you have, do other writing that? Yeah. 
whether it's personal or maybe you know, I know I've seen articles and stuff that you've written, but yeah. but beyond that, are you writing poetry and stuff? Or I do. Um, not, probably not so much poetry. I, I mean, I'm I'm always sort of penning lyrics. I try to carry a notebook with me. Um, I've got one in my car, and you know, and when I'm different places, because you never know when a line is going to come out or something, some sort of inspiration is going to hit, and so I, I try to keep. Uh, something available to document those opportunities. But um, I do write, I've been working on a novel for about nine years, hmm. <laughs> which is funny to say, but it's just, it's the kind of thing that I pick up and I put down and then I put down for a couple years and then pick back up and then revisit. And, you know, it's been nine years of, of writing and revamping and changing this story. And I don't know that it'll ever be anything that'll come out. Uh, as mm-hmm. much as it's, it just seems like an ongoing discipline for me to mm-hmm. write a little bit. Um, so I do some of that. I, I'd certainly write, you know, for my blog and, uh, you know, that stuff gets tempered. You know, the, the first draft of what happens doesn't usually make the blog cause it's probably far, um, it's it's not as diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. You know, you blogs and for me at least I feel like blogs are sort of the outlet for writing what you wouldn't want to write in a song, you know, right. or it's, you know, and but I still want to temper it cuz I don't want to just be a whiner about certain political things or moral or ethical situations that I feel like need to be addressed, but I want to kind of more just keep a conversation going. So that's that's probably what I do. Um in my other writing. Mm. So, so when did words, when did you know words were going to be this important to you and, and your life and life? Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I had a really horrible experience in high school with English. Like I really, I had just a teacher that I didn't love and I felt like kind of knocked the wind out of me a little bit with regards Mm. to language and um but what happened was you know I wasn't that interested in it before then but then she kind of she was so sort of combative with me and I had such a bad experience with it that you know you'd think my reaction would be then to just give it up Mm. but it kind of had the opposite reaction for me like I I ended up going, oh yeah, well, I'll prove to you that I can, I can do this. Mm. And, and it seemed at that point that I started to engage with it a little bit more. Um, and then that's also around the same time that I started really getting in bands, um, starting bands with friends and playing songs and writing music. And so, um, the need to write lyrics was always sort of there. Um, so, you know, it was probably like both of those things happening sort of in somewhat of a parallel space. Um, you know, my interest in English um, and communicating that way. And then also um, learning that, you know, that this idea of writing lyrics is a, sort of a unique um, challenge um, that I was really starting to become interested in. So so did did something move you in a song before something moved you in a book? Probably, yeah, I would say. Yeah. Um, music was has always kind of been my first um, 
first kind of engagement uh, in creativity. I I, um, I wasn't much of a reader growing up. I was, you know, I was the kid with ADHD, undiagnosed, because I grew up in the 70s and 80s before they kind of made right. much of a stink about that. And, um, you know, so I, I didn't really have the attention span to, to read a lot. Um, it's funny, I, it wasn't until after I got out of college that I actually started reading for enjoyment and found some interesting novels and things that I that I really took to. But um, before that, it was it was literally the the sound bites and snippets that songs provided that that helped kind of give me a a grasp. And I was listening to a lot of music that you know there were some some great songwriters Simon and Garfunkel and Peter Gabriel and Sting and a lot of these artists that that seemed to have somewhat more of a literary background and sort of you could tell that it was there when they were writing lyrics. It's funny. I was just talking to my uh, daughter the other day about the first time, I don't even know where the subject came up, but the first time I recognized that I was learning while listening and it was a Rush song and the lyric was like, uh, if you've you've chosen not to decide, you still made a choice. And I thought, oh yeah, wow. I I mean, I remember my, my brain trying to process that you know, and going yeah. like, what, what does that mean? And why would they say that? And, yeah. <laughs> and yet, and now, I mean, I'm looking for, I'm looking for that same sort of phraseology every time I, even when I opened up the Hawk record, right. You know I mean? Just, yeah. I just want something to move me on the inside and make me and twist something inside me to go, wow, words just moved me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And you know, and it's, it's sort of a sad state of pop music right now that, that I, you know, I, there's so uh, little of that, um, you know. There's so less. Um, you know, nobody's taking the time to have the attention on those lyrics that really make a light bulb go on, or kind of, mm-hmm. the, or startle someone into thinking differently. Um, I mean, everything now. It, you know, I, I don't know, and maybe it's just the old man in me now <laughs> that's listening to pop music and goes, "Oh, it's too loud." Um, but it's that. It's that sense that it. Um, People have lost um, a focus on being provocative in art rather than just being provocative in presentation. You know, and I think there's, because you look at Lady Gaga and you look at, you know, even Madonna when she was doing it. And now you look at Miley Cyrus and you go, you know what, okay, we get, I get the idea that you're trying to be provocative. You're trying to push the envelope and um, cause people to think differently, but you haven't really thought about what you're trying to get them to think about ultimately and it's it's more just the spectacle versus the provocation the provocation toward um a different line of of thought uh and so it it just feels to me that that's where pop music used to really shine you know pop music kind of in whenever it infused or kind of hit up against protest songs Mm -hmm. or um, prophetic voices that's sort of where it found its truest power I felt like because it's you're bringing the conversation into the masses to have people respond and have to respond to it um, our pop music doesn't really do that anymore and I think the hawk that's sort of one of the things we've we've sort of stumbled into because we really wanted to write pop songs and yet couldn't really find our way out of writing from that space that was provocative in the sense that we we found that we had to, you know, it, it became that combination of things. 
we wanted it to be provocative. We wanted it to have some uh, a lot of questions that people were kind of forced to wrestle with. Um, yeah, without just being kind of a spectacle. So, so are people like you and me the freaks now because we're s- searching for something more rather than just watching Miley Cyrus swale around on a wrecking ball, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know because I actually think the reason people ingest so much music, why we've become so like, um, you know, it's the info glut culture, right? You know, we want more and more and more information and, you know, get information and entertainment from everywhere. I think that's because people are ultimately grazing to find that thing that's going to actually speak to them and spark them. And, but there's so much crap to wade through nowadays, so much music, so much entertainment, and they're not finding it. And so they keep moving on quickly, short attention spans. We kind of go, Oh, well, somebody's 15 minutes of fame is now five seconds of fame. Well, some of that's just because, well, that their five seconds isn't very important. Um, and I think about that, you know, Miley Cyrus, you know, not to keep coming back to her, but she's right. obviously yep. in the media right now. Um, we can all watch her and, and maybe learn something about that. It's like, how far can she go before we just go, okay, now we, we recognize that she's not actually teaching us anything new. She's not actually sparking any new revelation in us. So we'll see you later. You know, her, her and she's just going to have to keep being startling how many times can she do that, you know, and before we, we just ignore her. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but is she, but is that more a reflection of her or is it more of a reflection of us, the collective us? Yeah. I think it has a lot to do with us. I mean, obviously we're talking about her, us. We yeah, Obviously people. we have both noticed her. Yes. Literally. Right. Well, and you know, you know and, and it's funny because you read all the headlines about it and she says, you know, all the headlines are like, well, Miley did it again and she's done something to try to shock the media. And it's like, we know what she's doing, but we can't help but still talk about it. You know, so it's certainly us. And, you know, maybe she yeah. is smarter than we think. But um, but I just, you know, I, I think getting back to that point, though, it matters that we, um, people are looking for something that's going to spark or provoke a new way of thinking, a new door to open, a new color to be observed, something that's different for them that takes what they're doing in life and kind of makes it bigger or more interesting or shines a light on something they didn't notice before. And unless you're able to do that through your music, um, you're going to be part of that five seconds of fame and short attention span mentality and people are going to just skip over you. So, mm. and my hope is that we've provided some of that and people will linger on what the Hawk is doing a little bit more. Well, even the title track, uh, I thought first track, aren't you writing about our humanness? Yeah. Oh yeah. Freaks is, is definitely about the human experience and, and it's really about the idea of the inner circle. Um, and belonging and where do we fit in and you know and it's it's sort of played out in some of that kind of sinister language of you know come join 
the council mm-hmm. come, you know, <laughs> for the greater good. <laughs> but uh, you know, but in a sense, it's it's really is speaking to that idea that we all, no matter if we're teenagers and we're in school or we're adults, we all still are afraid we're not in that inner circle, and we're all still kind of trying to figure out where we fit in, where we belong. And uh, so the song is sort of speaking and and hopefully trying to kind of turn it on its side a little bit to say, you know what, the problem is, is that there really is nobody in that inner circle. And the the inner circle is actually the outer circle where everybody is. And, uh, And just look around you and recognize your place is here and you're in it. Uh, can I ask you uh, about what you were trying to get to with we have a plan we have a plan we have the means for your liberation you only have to blur the lines on a few occasions love love that by the way but thanks yeah um i i think that's certainly that speaks to the um uh the temptation to be less of who we are to try mm-hmm. to fit in you know at least to me when i was when i was writing that line in my head i kept thinking about the paradox that that people become less of who they are to try to fit in someplace and be comfortable somewhere um and the reality is, is you know you're never going to be comfortable unless you are who you are um so yeah it was sort of a play on words in that that kind of context and and you wrote a lot about love through this and i mean i guess between I'll say a, a boy and a girl or a man and a woman or whatever, right? Is that? Yeah. I mean, I I love that love. I think that gives us a, a better insight into what love really truly could be. Yeah. It's usually our first inkling of what real love is, I think. Maybe it's between parent and child. but Yeah. But when we really f- learn to give love, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think love is a scary proposition and, uh, and a brutal one most of the time. Um you know, with the hawk, I think we just part of what we wanted to write about was um, the darker side of love. You know, it's a, there's mm-hmm. a lot of melodrama in the record, a lot of that kind of broken-hearted. This relationship isn't working, or um, there's love on a romantic scale, and then there's love in a real scale um, where most of us actually live. And so those songs kind of they play more to that darker side of love and brokenheartedness and um, the insanity of not really knowing what's going on in a relationship, you know, and, and, you know, the folly of trying to control people and, um, Mm. you know, all of that. So it's, it's, yeah, it was an interesting voice to try to sing from and write from and, um, you know, somewhat autobiographical at times, mostly not, mostly it was, a character that I got to put on, which was fantastic. So talk to me about Put Your Arms Around Me, because I, I think that's the, especially because it comes, comes after Beg for Love, right? But um, yeah, I, I love the idea that when we finally have to, I guess, become vulnerable and and we need, we need literally a pair of arms around us. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, that was like one of the first songs we wrote together. Um as the hawk and um and it really was it was probably as far into that kind of description of culture that we wanted to get you know we we were hoping to 
to have most of the songs from the Hawk really sort of be under the skin kind of music, more intimate and slightly uncomfortable. Um, that song is sort of a, you know, the camera kind of pans back and we get to see sort of the way that the ants are moving around the colony in a way. You know, we get to sort of see that, well, look at how we avoid difficult things. Look at how we we are following these voices that don't matter. Look at how we're caring about things that don't matter. And then, you know, what are we becoming, you know, in the midst of that? We're losing our human connection. Um, all the things and the good stories we've, we tend to push away from us. And so now we're, we're sort of left to be these, you know, pseudo-humans, not even really humans. The, the phrase that's in that song is the suburbianderthal was uh yeah, was <laughs> the 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 coining phrase i i was hoping that that lyric would finally would stay in the final version because i was kind of so thrilled to come up with that idea of this thing that you know that was not even human anymore um and it sort of followed some other primitive sense for comfort and control and uh yeah, so it sort of was just a look at our culture and to kind of uh, look at it a bit satirically and and go, you know what, this isn't an awesome place that we're in, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe we just need to kind of find our human space again. You know, I, I think I told you that I, it, it it brought me to a place where I thought these are emotions and things that people in the movie Blade Runner were thinking, not that they discussed them. Yeah, but but that's what I was thinking, and I wonder if we if it's so much easier for us to disconnect with the now and sort of throw it into the futuristic world of Blade Runner to go, yeah, if we keep living the way we're living, we're going to end up like that, even though we continue to keep living like we're living. Right. And, you know, such as put your arms around me, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the prophetic voices of our culture are always, they're never the ones that are telling us what to do. They're only describing the way we are living currently mm-hmm. so that we can be smart enough to recognize where we can change. And, uh, you know, but sometimes we don't. Mm. Well, I, I kind of dovetailed science fiction in with that song. Because um, it, it, is that a lot about feeling disconnected too? Um, certainly, yeah. I mean, science fiction was just sort of a fun take. I, you know, I, I was nodding to Peter Schilling's uh, version of Major Tom, mm. which I loved. That was just one of the songs that I I listened to growing up. And uh, by the way, I I have that Peter Schilling EP. Yeah, so I just found it on vinyl actually not too long ago. Did you? Yeah, nice. Thrilled nice to find job. it. Um, and uh, yeah, but it was just that that kind of you know. All right, let's let's just put this epic science fiction tale to work for us, and just you know, two people. Um, you know, one who's just wants to ravish everything in her, in her sight, basically. It's just, you know, it's the typical guy watching this girl come in like a tornado and just completely destroy his world. Um, you know, and that, and then just the, the conversation that sort of ensues because of that. So that was, that was really the, the bulk of that song was just that. And, uh, I, I just, I had a lot of fun writing that one because it was such a different yeah. kind of, I don't know, just a different kind of lyrical space. <laughs> yeah. 
no pun intended. Well, I thought about it because I think we've talked before that you that you kind of look to science at times, wondering how this all works together, right? Oh yeah, and so certainly, yeah. So that's why I was thinking it it, it connected inside of you somehow too. Oh I mean, yeah. yeah, it could have. I haven't thought of it that deeply yet, but it could. Yeah. <laughs> Stop! Stop it, Frank. <laughs> we don't have to go that deep. Uh, well, can we go deeper on the Curse of the Love songs? Um, yeah, sure. Because I, I guess I, I, I think I've probably said that while driving down, going, "Why? <laughs> this? Yeah, this all makes no sense." And yet they they play it all day on the quote unquote the radio. You know? Yeah. You know, someone else asked me about that song, and and I was trying to figure out when, like, what songs were on the radio when we were um, when we were writing that one, and I think that uh um i think that it was it was just in a season where there were a lot of kind of sappy um codependent kind of love songs that were out on the radio and yeah and uh it was the first song that we wrote the hawk in paris it was really the first one that we decided mm. oh we should keep writing um because <laughs> matt and i got together and it, and just penned that that piece and he had just had that little piano intro and um so we we worked on that piece and it was nothing more than just a piano and a vocal but then mm-hmm. um then we thought you know let's see what jeremy does with this he's like we we know the song could have more it could have more of this sort of spatial quality to it and could be a bigger um dramatic kind of piece of music so i wonder mm-hmm. what he would do to it and it was actually the so so he he took it and built it into the track that it is now and um yeah from a from a lyric standpoint or meaning standpoint i mean certainly the, you you hit it on is just that that sense that you know sometimes people just don't want to hear that mm-hmm. sometimes love isn't working out and sometimes all those codependent love songs about you know i can't live without you and what am I going to do if you walk away from me? And um, sometimes you just want to kind of have something else, mm-hmm. and you don't want the reminder, right? You know, of all that. And uh, and so that was really, and maybe in a way it was kind of the the flag that we were waving to. We we're like, all right, guys, we're yep. we're deciding to write from a different space, and this is sort of this is the anthem. You know, we're going to write love songs that aren't these codependent, um, sappy, unrealistic love songs. <laughs> and so we kind of stamped it with Curse the Love Songs. You say that you writing from a different space, but is it is every intention with your lyrics to move people to a different space? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean, creative, yeah, okay. that to me, that's the role of art is... You know, art is meant to provide a different perspective, to unlock a door, to allow a person to have permission to think in a different way than they maybe have before. Um, and so that's, you know, that's seeing a great movie or observing a painting or a drawing, a play, uh, you know, and certainly a song. Uh, and talk to me about Wake Me Up, if you don't mind. Uh, more, more, I guess I... I love lines like, what is life when yeah. I can feel you in my skin, but it's only in my mind. Pull me to the light. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly the, the fantasy song. Um, 
you know, it's a song about just, um, yeah, an unrealized kind of unrequited sort of love that this guy just, you know, his, his reality probably sucks. And then mm. his dream world is crumbling also. <laughs> so, um, the song began as a, uh, as like a really sort of a blue eyed soul acoustic, uh, pop song that we were writing. And we were, I, I, we were actually in trying to write for another artist and, uh, and then we kept coming back to the song and over the span of about six months of working on that song, it kind of morphed into what it, what it turned out to be on the Hawk record. And, mm-hmm. but if you had heard earlier versions of the songs, you would have laughed cause it was really, um, I mean, it was as close to that kind of blue eyed soul, poppy acoustic yeah. music as a, a guy could get. And w- what we just knew that wasn't where the song needed to live. And, you know, and Jeremy was sort of the brainchild behind taking that vocal and kind of pushing it um, into the space of, you know, using auto-tune and some of that stuff as more of an instrument than than as a, a correctional tool. So, right. um, yeah. you know, and that was that was pretty fun to kind of hear what my voice does in that environment, like with those different mm-hmm. qualities on it. Um, yeah, but it was just, you know, the song was... It's one of my favorites on the record now. It was sort of the dark horse. Um, uh-huh. uh, because I knew the origins of it, and I thought, oh, this is... We, we thought it was kind of lame when we started working on it, and then it sort of just came alive in its, in its new skin. <laughs> so if I move to the next song, which is Simple Machine, I, I still wonder why love is a mystery. Because there's been a billion songs written about it. We think yeah. about it every waking hour. Not, maybe not every waking hour, but, you know, yeah. a lot. And yet, still, we wonder what it is. Yeah. Um that song might be my favorite on the record. Um, it it's interesting. I like I was trying to find where that where that song really came from because it does hit on a lot of my ideas. Like I I really kind of pulled from what I remember of my house feeling like in like the late seventies when I was a kid and, you know, dinner conversations after years of getting cold. Yeah. But it just felt like, you know, I, cause I, my parents divorced when I was young and they had a terrible relationship, at least in my perspective as a kid even. And I just remember somehow feeling trapped in that environment and in that space. Um, and when I was writing the lyric for that song, it, it really was um, kind of a look at their crumbling relationship from the perspective of of me, you know, from a yeah of what I remember that felt like and looked like and seemed like as a kid. Um, so yeah, so that that song, um, yeah, I just. Yeah, there's there's certainly parts of my youth that are stuck within the spaces in that song, in the lyrics, um, and then the music for it. You know, I think what there's sounds in that song that um, we keep trying to get back to mm. even now, and we kind of work on new material that 
there's there's the way the melancholy tone worked in that song was sort of the way we wanted it to work in a lot of the other hawk mm. material. Um, for some reason, that song it really it all all the pieces came together. So, mm. Yeah. So I'm going to jump over to between the world and you. Um, yeah. I guess I thought that was such a. I mean, it's the fewest words, right? But right. maybe the most powerful words for mm-hmm. for people. Yeah. To be here for each other. Yeah. Uh, my sort of the muse for that song, Between the World and You, was um, it was kind of that Cormac McCarthy um, post-apocalyptic world, you know, or I believe it was the road where the... Uh, it's a father and son trying to make their way. Um, and obviously the song is, is more from a, um, a lover's perspective than a father-son. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I just had that kind of um, the question of, you know, how far does a person go? What does a person do to put themselves between the person they love and harm's way? You know, like what, where does a person go? How do you, communicate that um and uh you know it has the song definitely has the the flavor of a you know an epic sort of superhero you know drama um adventure kind of quality to it um, right. you know which is is intentional you know we wanted it to feel that way um but that lyric yeah when we kind of stumbled on that that lyric you know, i will stand between the world and you um, yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of felt the weight of that. Like, what does that really mean for a person to do and to take on that kind of whatever the world throws at somebody and try to protect somebody? And even also to understand how futile that can be at times, you know, to, to go, well, we can't really protect each other from the suffering and the pain of the world. And in fact, it's a disservice to do that most of the time, but, um, but, but it doesn't mean that I don't want somebody to stand between oh, no. whatever is out there and me. So yeah. I can have a, have a, a landing that is less than, you know, less than dangerous. Sure. Certainly less than hurtful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I was thinking about it that from that, from my, almost my own vantage point, because it's so hard to, uh, to think that people, I mean, I, I'm sure I would throw myself in front of, you know, the, 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 the cars of the world that are bearing down on my family or something, right? Right. But who's, who's going who's gonna to save me? Yeah, who watches The Watchmen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, spoken yeah. like a writer. Uh, and then, is, is that the last song on the record, or is there a bonus track called Stars? Um, there is a, there's a song called Stars that ends the record, yeah. I, I love the, uh, what, is it called Stars or When the Stars Come when Out? When the Stars Come Out is the full title, yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, I love the first line in, in that song, Bless the Tantrum of the World Outside My Window. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I know what you're saying, and I guess I want you to s- 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 expound on it. Well, yeah. I don't disappoint you on this one. No, um, <laughs> if, you, if you remember, um, I I don't know why this song always conjures up for me. There was a beer commercial that used um, Genesis, the song "Tonight Tonight," okay, um, right, yeah. back in the eighties, 
And it was sort of this, the whole idea from that commercial that I remember was that it was like, you know, the world doesn't actually come alive until the lights go down, mm-hmm. you know, until the, you know, the sun is, is faded and now the stars are up and now the life, life comes together. And, you know, and obviously they're trying to sell beer, but there's something in that idea that I thought would be kind of fun to write about is just that sense that, you know, what is this sort of nocturnal nightlife? What right. is this? And, and to kind of take it and try to be poetic about it and say, okay, people that will sleep away the entire day and then get up at night and that's their kind of world. And they go out and um, just have a good time. So it's, you know, there's not a lot of huge depth in that song. But um, but you found a lot of life in that in that time frame of the day, right? I mean, you're, oh, yeah. you, you are in the middle of your... You're peaking as a human being at 11.30 at night because right. that's when you just got off stage or whatever, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know the, the experience of that, and, you know, hopping in a car with a bunch of friends and just driving out to go do whatever yeah. we want and, you know, not kind of know what the night's going to bring. And I mean, there's something fun about that. And why do they have to close yeah. it too? There's freedom in that. <laughs> why are they already closing? It's 2 a.m. It's only 2. Right. And, you know, and there's no... It's funny, maybe if, you know, as you asked earlier, am I finding any freedom in this? I don't know that there have been too many, you know, Christian or faith-based artists that have written about that. Right. (laughs) So, you know, the nightlife, like, who gets to write about that in, in, you know? So maybe there is some freedom here that I get to explore. It's a a good thing. So thanks thanks for uh, exploring it with me and let me then let me into your turf if you will and so i can so i can certainly figure out more whatever more means it's a good thing yeah yeah man great thanks frank brilliant man all right it's amazing to me over years of success and fame how one remains humble at the core Do you not love what Dan had to say in this conversation? I do. Please feel free to share it with with more freaks like us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, You are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks. Questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper. Hoper.